Welcome to the first episode of Poison for Profits. My name is Zach. And I'm Nick. And we are excited to start this podcast. We're both pretty new to podcasting. Uh, first podcast ever for each of us. So. <laughs> yes. Um, so be patient with us. Be gentle. But, uh, but we're this also podcast... welcome to the criticism. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Improve that make you guys and... want to listen to it each week. Yeah, the show is going to evolve as we go and as we get the hang of it. Um, it's a podcast that will focus on environmental and, and human health news uh, stories about, you know, maybe some misdeeds by certain companies and people. Uh, uh, we'll try to make it uh, weekly to begin with. Uh, so we'll do some more news episodes, different stories and updates on those stories as we go through. And we're going to provide our own commentary as well. Why we're interested in this and starting this podcast, uh, we're both actually in the environmental science field. So I'm a land management specialist. I do natural resources work. Uh, Zach, if you want to talk on your background, I'll let you do that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I am the environmental manager of a building materials manufacturing company. But yeah, so we will start with the the weekly kind of news episodes. Like I said, eventually we'll try to cover bigger, uh, bigger stories, um, more in depth topics. We might go span multiple episodes um, and do some deeper dives into these stories, uh, companies, and people. But we're happy everybody that is listening. Uh, we're happy you are listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. First thing we're going to talk about tonight is the COP27 uh, meeting in Egypt is starting in two days from uh, this recording. And their, their main sponsor they have is Coca-Cola. COP27 is, uh, I should go over that first, but COPs, uh, COP stands for Conference of Parties. Um, and this is basically for climate. It's a meeting of governments that have uh, joined in the world's major climate agreements. So like the Paris Agreement, um, things like that. And they're just, I guess, different government leaders in those um, member nations are discussing path forward. Um, but it has come under... Some scrutiny with Coca-Cola being the corporate sponsor. It was, first of all, it was just weird to me that an event like this has a corporate sponsor to begin with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that is that weird to you? A hundred percent. Why would it's they? like? Yeah, <laughs> it's not like for one <laughs> have a, yeah. a corporate sponsor at all. All right, like it's not the college football playoff. They're just like they're <laughs> literally trying to solve climate change. Right. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, like you said, this isn't a 
Super Bowl that needs <laughs> an ad break or yeah anyways um so coca-cola is the primary corporate sponsor and it's coming under scrutiny because a lot of people might know this or might be able to guess uh, coca-cola is one of the world's largest plastic polluters oh i was um, going to <laughs> guess that they were like an environmental organization coca-cola yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah i mean i guess you know maybe some people have never heard of coca-cola <laughs> but um yeah so they pollute about three million metric tons of plastic packaging every year um and plastic uh is very oil intensive to make to begin with so, I mean, it's not just that they're polluting plastic. They are, you know, there's a lot of carbon emissions that go along with their their um, business plan anyways, right? Right. Uh, so, yeah, this is kind of just like, and it's right in the name. It's like COP27 presented by Coca-Cola. It's basically advertising for the company. Um and all i mean all these cop meetings anyways are kind of have kind of been you know pointed out as just kind of a greenwashing effort by these governments and by these uh whoever's sponsoring the events um it's like a chance for these companies and countries to go hey we're going to do all this amazing work for the environment but i mean they've had this is going to be the 27th yeah. one and i can't name anything that's ever happened from any of these cop <laughs> events at all exactly yeah <laughs> there's no real actions that come from these it's all in these kind of overarching agreements um that they come up with but it's all it's also non-enforceable uh, um People can, you know, countries can drop out basically whenever they want. Um, but yeah, but it's an opportunity for for countries and for these sponsors to exaggerate kind of their efforts to become more sustainable and, and to reduce their emissions. Um, basically, you know, greenwashing um, themselves and, and lying to, to the rest of the world. I mean, because listen, the 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 pollution that companies like Coca Cola um, commit, I mean, that's all that it benefits them. They they have these very low. They don't put soda in glass bottles anymore, right? It's all plastic bottles. That's because it's cheaper for them to produce that and to distribute that. Um, so unless like there's certain things that they're willing to change drastic things um it's really pretty insignificant the the changes that they're or the the efforts that they're saying they're making right this to me is just another one of those oh we're gonna pollute a hundred million plastic bottles here 
but we sponsored COP27. So Right. We, we, yeah, we want them to have the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're on the right side of this. Yeah, it's, it's, they've got, you know, more than just their environmental record. They've got really bad uh, human rights and labor records, too. Um, probably something to get into with it, its own series, but, like, um, death squads in Latin America, um, like, targeting labor leaders. Um, I mean, they've just got a really record of kind of human atrocities i would say including you know climate change and pollution and all that it seems like a lot of these larger companies do yes and i'm sorry if i missed it but did you say how much their uh sponsorship sponsorship amount is i don't know how much they paid to be the uh the sponsor i don't know if that's actually disclosed yeah because i think this is actually a a un um event Uh uh-huh because that would be really interesting to know i mean it's like oh you can spend all that money towards sponsoring the event but when it comes towards actually making a change and doing an action they're right right yeah, and that's that's really what this whole um, event seems to be about. This is the 27th meeting, COP meeting for climate. And like you said, what's really come out of this? That is That is like a coordinated global effort, right? That things are supposed to be coming out of these meetings. We can't really name anything that has for the 26th. Um, prior meetings I was just kind of uh, browsing through the article that you linked and I found this sentence pretty interesting that fossil fuel companies were banned from sponsoring the event in the UK last year yeah I did read that (laughs) yeah just last year (laughs) fossil fuel companies were banned from sponsoring the climate change yeah um I like I was trying to think of analogies for like what what it means for coca-cola to be sponsoring this event um and i'm not very good with analogies but um it's kind of like exxon mobil sponsoring uh you know a, a global event for like ending um global hunger right <laughs> like you can't really at first you're kind of like what First of all, what does this company have to do with this? Right. Um, and then you kind of look closer, and it's actually like, well, they have a lot to do with it, but they're, you know, driving this the wrong side of it, right? Because exactly. the oil companies do that. They climate change is, you know, driving global hunger in certain ways, um, just like plastic pollution and and plastic bottle production in general is driving climate change. Yeah, it just seems like <laughs> uh, 
I'm guessing COP27 won't be a notable one either with uh, Coca-Cola being the sponsor. Yeah, well, I guess we'll wait to find out. Um, but I'm with you. I am not really expecting much from it. Uh, there was a an article in The Guardian um, about the emissions gap between top 1% and um, I guess the rest of us. Um, and, the, and this is coming from the U, a study in the UK, but uh, the top 1% is responsible for the same amount of carbon emissions as the bottom 10% over two decades. Um, and what that basically means, they broke it down a little bit, is that it would take 26 years for a low wage earner to produce as much carbon as the richest people in the UK do in one year. Uh, so basically the richest are, are emitting or have a carbon footprint 26 times than everybody else. That is absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, something we pretty much know about, right? That wealthy people are responsible for more emissions, um, especially the ultra-wealthy top 1%. So it's not really, like, a surprise this is coming out, but it's interesting to see the specifics of it um, and exactly how kind of dire it is um, or how extreme it is the difference between the two groups um and another thing that was mentioned uh it kind of talked about if there were a carbon tax on individuals or you know on the on the wealthiest one percent um it said that it could pay to retrofit eight million homes um in the in the uk with insulation to conserve you know, heating and cooling energy. That's an interesting idea. It seems like, though, at least in my thought, you might as well just do the tax to everybody because I feel like a person like me or you, it's going to be minuscule. But if you're someone that is in that top 1%, you're, I guess, what is it? Is it mostly like flights? and? Uh, yeah, so it's, so, yeah, like international flights i think uh talked specifically about across the atlantic to the u.s you know and yeah wherever else um but i mean that's that's what goes along with the those wealthy the wealthiest people they got they take the most flights right they got private jets yachts things like that um and yachts are, are like an enormous source of carbon like uh, I don't know if you if you've ever seen anything about cruise ships. I have. But like, you just I mean, get, like terrible emissions that you're just sitting right. in like the whole time. Right, because it's like a city on a boat. That's it. But the boat is like actually going somewhere. It's not like a. I wonder what the MPGs stuff. on it on a thing like that. <laughs> yeah, I would guess not great. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, it's like these. The richest people have the most access to that stuff, right? Um, and they use their, especially with, with yachts, they're the only ones who use that stuff. Um, I don't know. I think 
with private jets, I would say, in my opinion, there needs to just be a flat out ban on private jets. Um, and with, with yachts, you know, I would ban, you know, personal yachts too. I mean, if you want to do like a rented out group yacht or whatever, but just in my opinion, those things are, I mean, they're the things that, that drive climate change from an individual level, right? Like we got, we know the biggest emitters are companies, um, energy companies, fossil fuel, um, and manufacturing, things like that. But when it comes to uh, individual responsibility, which the U.S. is pretty huge on in every other, you know, facet of life, I guess, um, there's really nothing stopping this small group of people from doing whatever they want and um, the rest of the world pays for it. Yeah, and so it's something with like pollution and all that. It's not like it just stays where they do it. It it travels. It goes air pollution specifically. It goes all over the globe. Uh, so it, it just would be nice to see at least if they're going to do that. Like that carbon tax does seem like a good thing. It just holds them a little bit more responsible for the emissions that they're producing and helps to at least maybe offset that in the communities with uh, those 8 million homes you were talking about earlier being uh, retrofitted. Yeah. Yeah, right. And the carbon taxes are the least that we can do if we're not going to, you know, limit people's use of these things. Yeah, which, I mean, at least... I don't know about the UK, but in the USA, I cannot <laughs> imagine uh, too much limiting of anyone's Oh, yeah. People right. would. <laughs> oh, my God. People would, yeah. They'd lose their minds. This is a German article, so maybe the Germans out there will know. Uh, but Germany recently is forcing plastic makers to help pay for cleanups. Uh, so what this means is any maker of a product that contains any single-use plastic will have to pay into this fund that's managed by the government, uh, which that fund will then be used to help clean up streets, parks, uh, any plastic pollution that um, is being produced and it's estimated to collect about 450 million euros in the first year uh, which is about 446 million dollars so pretty crazy number uh, especially just for a country like Germany is not the largest country uh, they're definitely pretty huge uh, economically but I just thought that was quite a lot of money just off of uh, single-use plastic. <laughs> that they're is that yeah? Is that a projection or is that something they've actually got? Okay. Yeah. So uh, it this won't start until twenty twenty-five. They at least you know like to give them a little bit of time. Um, 
so I guess I could see that dropping a little bit. Some of these businesses might choose to reduce the single-use plastics or eliminate them altogether. So then that way they don't have to pay into this, which that's great. Um, but then the ones that don't, they're, they'll be able to then use that money to help clean up a lot of the single-use plastics that are being deposited into our environment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm all for making the, uh, the source of the problem pay for the, for the problem, right? Um, right. Yeah, I'm just curious about how it, how it's going to work itself out and the, the logistics of all of it. Um, I mean, in the U.S., right? That's all I really have to, <laughs> to, uh, compare things to. I don't really know much about the EU, but, it would be like a crate that would be an extreme idea in the u.s to make um to make these companies pay for what is what's essentially like litter right? right um but that's awesome i mean i would i would love to see that kind of thing result in something like getting rid of single-use plastics for sure um yeah and then it, it just becomes it just becomes, you know, making these fines or bringing these fines to a level to where it's no longer profitable to use that, right? Because exactly, I'm so on board with that because if I get it, you know, sometimes that plastic is what they have to use or whatever, they want to use it for X, Y, and Z okay go ahead use that but because you have to use plastic you have to pay into a fund to help mitigate what pollution and uh, damage that you are going to be doing to the environment uh, just that because i mean we all know it plastics stick around in the environment for far too long yeah yeah once they're there and they start breaking down they release you know chemicals that are even more damaging um but yeah, yeah, I mean, turning it from this mitigation tactic into a prevention tactic, um, in my mind, that's the most ideal um, thing they could do, is if they can, like, I was, like, I'll just finish the thought, but if, yeah. but, you know, if they can, if they can find them to a point where it's more profitable for them to not use these single-use plastics anymore um to prevent pollution altogether um that's what that's probably the best thing for the the environment and human health anyways we've seen so many times in the u.s when something like this happens no matter what you know kind of pollution it is um these fines that companies get are pretty much a drop in the bucket right But I'll let you finish. Uh, oh, no, you're good. You were... uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I just want to re reiterate what you're saying, really. It's just, I feel like so often it's we're, okay, like, let's go do a trash pickup. That's great. Like, But if we don't stop the source of the problem, it doesn't matter. It, we're, we're never going to be able to keep up with it. So I feel this is a step in a, the right direction towards 
getting less single-use plastics out in our environments. All right, next up we've got, um, this is an article from Nature. It's about global net zero plans and how uh, they pretty much exclude Africa from really having any real meaningful engagement with this planning and with the, the actions in this planning. Um, so to begin with, you know, Africa, they don't really, a lot of poor countries in Africa, right? Um, a lot of exploited countries um, that are not really industrialized. Um, they don't really have the means to be able to, to engage in these energy transition plans that are kind of agreed upon with the rest of the, the Western world. Um, which would include, you know, modeling for, for things like timelines, technology options, infrastructure, investments, and, and policy. Um, they don't really have as many, as many options or, or as much to really, um, even data to analyze from, to make those decisions. Uh, and an, another issue with kind of how this is all this to this point has been conducted is that in all these agreements or in all these projections, Africa is really lumped together, right? All the countries in Africa are, are lumped together, um, meaning that the assumption is that they would all be pretty much uniform in all these, these plans and these um, infrastructure changes and policy changes, things like that. Uh, when in reality, all these countries have different governments, they all have different economies. Um, they are, I would say they're industrializing. I don't really want to call it developing, but, but in this world, I mean, country has to really industrialize to improve standard of living, right? For their people. Right. Um, but that's happening at different rates in all these countries, right? And uh, we we know about kind of the industrialization of agriculture in Africa and the the controversy surrounding that. Um, so to to assume that all these all these countries are going to be doing the same things, um, another assumption is that energy demand won't grow in Africa. Um, to achieve net zero emissions, right? Um, I mean, that's pretty foolish to think that if you're going to actually allow these countries to have some sort of freedom in how um, in how they progress, I guess, right? Uh, they will have a growing demand for energies. It's just about where are those investments going to be coming from for energy in those countries? Um, is the rest of the world going to help out with, with giving them clean, renewable energy and, and, you know, other, other factors of their, uh, progress, how that's going to happen. Um, it's just kind of, they've kind of been left out to dry, I think, by the rest of these, these countries in these meetings, like the COP meetings. 
Yeah, I feel like what you're saying is just like Africa is one of the largest countries. I mean, it's absolutely massive. The problems that they Continent, have. Continents, yeah. Continents, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, that, but that's the idea is like they're not treated as a continent. Thank you for the <laughs> correction. <laughs> um, yeah, but with Africa being one of the largest continents, it's just, I mean, the problems that they're having at the far north compared to like south africa it's all so different and they're they are developing countries within africa so it's they're all at different stages of you know oh we're working on our water while like you were saying like these people might be doing energy and their energy demands are different and it just seems absolutely different priorities yeah yeah and there's a, a a billion over a billion people in africa there's you know, different levels of where countries are at already in terms of, um, I guess, their industrialization um, and their access to food, things like that, agriculture, uh, clean water, things like that. So it, it there's, well, I think what you're referring to, right, is this, this different priorities between these countries. Exactly. Um, so like, lumping them all together it's just not going to serve them as a whole you know it it there exactly you're and i think it's causing a bigger problem <laughs> yeah i think it's kind of unfair to to expect that right to kind of expect them to collectivize in that way or to to be treated in that way because um i mean the Europe doesn't do that. They all these countries have. I mean, they have the EU, but all these countries have their own goals too. Um, the U.S. certainly doesn't isn't treated that way by anybody else in the world, um, with you know North America or anything, or even uh, or even Europe, you know, being grouped in with kind of Western countries. Um, it's a little bit. I think it's just kind of disrespectful. I guess they've yeah, they've been yeah you know, left out. Yeah, it's just like all right, well, you guys all are together, so it's like I don't know. Like we would never stand for going and being just as North America, because what we're doing in the United States that is, is so what we're doing in the United States is so much different than what Mexico is doing or what Canada is doing. It's, yeah just crazy yeah i mean it's even more extreme with africa because um it's been so exploited and and um not by any fault of their own but by these other countries that are setting the standards now of climate action Uh, the EPA has plans now to slash uh, what they're referring to as climate super pollutants. This is referring to hydrofluorocarbons, uh, which are used in air conditioning and refrigeration systems. Um, I don't know if Freon is one of those. I don't, I'm, I don't know much about 
I know it's this categorization and that's where it's used, but um, they are lowering the allowances of HFCs as they're referred to, uh, to 40% below historical levels by 2024. And I don't know what historical levels are, but 40% seems like a good start, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess at least they're trying something. <laughs> yeah, and um, lowering allowances also. So, I mean, they're still going to be produced, right? It's not like they're completely phasing this stuff out. They also said um, the the plan includes being reduced by 85% um, by the year 2036, which is long time down the road um, but hopefully you know these actions are put in place soon i mean we talk about that a lot kind of planning 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 and we're all just waiting for actual action yeah yeah or it's by the time that the action is supposed to happen no one remembers <laughs> yeah yeah right uh, and they also, EPA also estimated that all these provisions for this phase down uh, would result in $268 billion in benefits from 2022 to 2050. And I take that with a little grain of salt. It's coming from the EPA itself, right? I think they kind of look for, for the most generous number in that probably okay. and it's also over they like over to round pretty... up <laughs> <laughs> yeah when it's gonna when they think it'll make them look good yeah um but that's over almost 30 years also so 268 billion divided by 30 i don't know what that is a little less than 10 billion a year nevertheless um you know, I think it's good to to move on from these these um, compounds that are have an even greater potential to drive climate change than carbon even does, or you know, carbon dioxide even does, methane. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about HFCs, but uh, if they're causing all this pollution it's definitely good that they're getting phased out um, yeah just glad to see s s what seems like a again another step in the right direction <laughs> for a cleaner planet yeah just gotta wait see how it turns out <laughs> translate tell me how to say this river name though so i don't butcher <laughs> it completely all right penobscot 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 all right next article is coming from the nrdc uh they posted about a 22-year court battle 
that has finally ended up in Maine uh, for the Penobscot River, which was being polluted with mercury. Um, so what was there was uh, some high levels of mercury in this river, and scientists actually trace back the problem to a Holtra Chem plant uh, that was on about 235 acres near the Penobscot River in Orrington, Maine. Um, so beginning in 1967, it dumped 13 tons of mercury into the river <laughs> rather than disposing it as they should have was, as well, uh, <laughs> What was the year on that? 1967. Okay. Was that before the Clean Water Act? They got it right in there just just before. Oh, yeah. They were up uh, against the clock. Yeah, they saw it coming, so they're like, oh, we better start dumping <laughs> this shit right in the river. Um, but as we all know, mercury has been known for a long time to be a terrible neurotoxin. causes... Uh, Heavy metal, yeah. Yeah, terrible for children, um, uh, especially, especially as they're developing. So pretty terrible but they actually traced this pollution back so they knew where it was coming from uh and they actually won this lawsuit against the parent company which it, i'm going to butcher this one is maland crot uh which is they were like the successor of the plant's first corporate owner owner uh so What's coming out of this is that now that there's a, a cleanup plan has been set in uh, motion, which includes some long-term monitoring, uh, funding for some projects in the area of the Penobscot River. Uh, and this amounted to $187 million and then an extra $80 million in contingency funds. So, yeah, this all... Uh, started in March of 2021, uh, but Penobscot is uh, one of New England's largest watersheds, so this is uh, very important to have this actually taking place, and it's actually really uplifting to me to see the company be held responsible. Um, yeah. This is yeah. also a huge fisheries uh, I mean, if, with it being one of the bigger watersheds, as you would imagine, the fisheries, the, so like the lobsters, the ducks, the just normal fish in general, they're all being contaminated by this. And uh, people Yeah, and everybody knows the risk of mercury and, and fish and seafood. Um, so I want, um, yeah, hopefully, I mean, hopefully it, there's an effective mitigation effort and gets it cleaned up before you know irreparable harm is done i mean it may already be done but somebody should be held responsible yeah and i do feel for the people up there a little bit because they didn't even though this had happened in 1967 the state of maine only issued an advisory for pregnant women to stop eating the waterfowl uh, in 2014 
and then they also close seven square mile section of the lobster and crab fishery near the mouth of the river okay uh, so they <laughs> they didn't really i mean anyone that was eating between then and 1967 i would be a little bit worried about that but yeah well i mean is bio so bioaccumulation of mercury do you know if it if it's like passed down it, or, or if there's I like i think with pregnancy it, it definitely affects the fetus it does okay development okay yeah um, yeah that makes sense because i know with uh with certain things like like ddt could be passed down through breast milk um i didn't know if that was the case with like mercury and other heavy metals but i mean it makes sense that it would get through um into like a fetus yeah through pregnancy yeah yeah, so I mean the 187 million and extra 880 million does sound really good to start, but I don't know if I think about all the people that could have been affected over all those like 20, 30 years that it was happening where no cleanup efforts had been had. I, right. I, to me, I feel like it is kind of a little bit low. Um, right. Yeah. And when we talk, we talk about corporate responsibility. It can't just be coming out of the company's profits, right? There needs to be some personal personal accountability from executives, leaders at the company. Um, at least in my opinion, right? Like, if it's just coming out of a corporate checkbook what's the real punishment you know besides to the shareholders what's the real deterrent i mean if somebody's at risk of going to prison i feel like that's way bigger to to driving you know responsibility throughout a company right but it is good to see see you know company is on the hook for cleaning things up is that through or is that coming down from the federal level or, or is that the main epa i actually did not see it here i think i just found it i wasn't entirely sure it looks like it's a main federal district court federal district court okay so Yeah, but yeah, okay. like you said, I am glad at least you see some corporate responsibility being had. Um, but again, yeah. another thing that also like kind of, uh, I guess, almost like upsets me about this whole article as well is that one of the main groups of people that was affected is the Native Americans. Uh, so the river is actually named after the Penobscot Nation. Uh, so they felt a lot of those impacts uh, mm. from the contamination. Yeah. So it just, again, you see the, it's almost a trend at this point, the, you know, I guess underprivileged, I don't know if that's the right word, but they just get. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. 
definitely uh disadvantage i don't even know if disadvantage is right i yeah, mean it's I don't a pretty wanna... oppressed group right right yeah that's <laughs> yeah. probably better yeah um, but at least uh it seems they're now going to be starting to clean this up and <laughs> hopefully getting it back on to a pretty healthy river last thing we're talking about today is plans from the mexican government to ban gmo corn uh, and they're actually uh, banning imports from the united states on all gmo corn which has um the farm lobby irate about it actually a lot of a lot of agricultural corporations um looking for congress to act on this and block it through through a dispute and a trade agreement they have but um they're on track mexico is to have their u.s imports of corn um, from this this uh, gmo ban and they're working well i thought this was really interesting they're uh, considering working directly with farmers in the U.S., Argentina, and Brazil to secure non-GMO imports, um, basically cutting out whatever middleman there would be for, you know, large-scale um, crop imports. That seems really good. I mean. Yeah, and this is this is a topic we're going to talk about more, and we'll have more episodes on um, as it relates to Kenya lifting their GMO ban. But um, they're doing this to phase out, um, first of all, um, GMO corn and glyphosate. So they cited the contamination that GMO corn uh, has on their native varieties how it changes the the uh, genetics of it um, which then you know can lead to certain trademark or copyright um, infringements uh, and they also cited adverse effects of glyphosate which is um, has been a growing concern here in, in recent years the farm lobby um farm lobby says that it will cause billions of dollars of economic damage to both countries uh farm lobby also has a lot of a lot of um interest in protecting gmo corn and profits of certain agricultural companies like syngenta um Bayer, Monsanto, things like that, companies like that. Mexico is is aiming really for self-sufficiency in every capacity under the, the AMLO government. Um, I know energy independence is something uh, they're working towards and obviously agricultural independence as well. Yeah, uh, I feel like out of that self-sufficiency is something that a lot of countries have been going for lately and i feel like that push towards self-sufficiency yes it's self-serving and that you 
you know, you don't have to rely on these other countries for, in this case, your crop seeds. Uh, but it also just helps so much with like the energy that now people are they're beginning to produce renewable energies and things like that. Uh, and I think this also will help, you know, as everyone knows, shipping costs. Everyone has to pay to ship their product all over the world. And I think uh, less of having less and less of that is such a huge win for the environment. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and like you said, this kind of move towards self-sufficiency in a lot of places. I think it's been especially focused on in Latin America. Um, I don't know if you've, have you followed this Brazilian election at all? not lula uh just won the election over bolsonaro um and he, he seems to be very much of that same mindset uh, i think one of his one of his uh proposals that i'm interested to kind of see see it evolve is uh, a new currency standard for latin america kind of get under under the thumb of the U.S. empire, which has a pretty strong uh, socioeconomic hold in the whole continent. Hmm. That, that would definitely be interesting. All right. Um, trying to think if there's anything else I want to add. Um, oh. I feel like we should also mention that GMOs, as we talk about uh, either in the episode released before or after this, uh, GMOs have been shown in many studies to cause uh, different health issues, including cancer. So I feel like this will also help uh, a lot of the citizens of Mexico to have a decreased uh, health effects from that. So I, I think that's another huge benefit of this. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. GMOs and, and different herbicides like glyphosate at the same time, it would, it would hopefully cut down on those uh, residues and food and, and the need or the, really the ability to use it. Exactly. So I think, uh, yeah, limiting anything in our food or environment that is a cancer-causing agent, uh, a health... Uh, probable cancer-causing agent. Excuse me, yeah. I don't want to let's, get... not, let's not get into the litigation. <laughs> I'll get us sued, don't worry, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> probable cancer-causing agent and probable uh, adverse health effects from both of these, I think... Uh, something that a lot of people that's something that not a lot of people have much control over yes you can move out into the country and you'll be further away from the big factories but then you're near the agriculture and then you're near which then you're near the pesticides that's getting sprayed so it's one of those things that everyone has to deal with what's getting put into the environment so the, the less adverse causing products the better right yeah and as we 
as we continue with this podcast, right, and we talk about more and more things, uh, more of those things are certain to come up. Um, these man-made synthetic chemicals that we use and everyday, uh, everyday items, uh, everyday life, they're everywhere. And it's one thing to be aware of them, and it's another thing to try to avoid them if possible, right? So uh, anything we can do to kind of point those things out, um, let people know about them, and let people know how uh, to either understand news like this um, going on in Mexico or, you know, just other news surrounding these types of things. I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah, same here. Um, last thing I want to say is something you just said that like resonated with me. It's like these man-made synthetic chemicals. I just feel like we always are turning to these man-made synthetic chemicals, and it always comes back to bite us. It's like we discover it, and it's like, oh, this one makes our pans not stick, but boom, you get cancer from it. But we don't test that. We just go and make the pans or... Yeah, exactly. These, these problems, and you're like, oh, but this is really good. I can burn the shit out of my eggs, and it doesn't stick to the bottom. Right. Yeah. It just, I just don't know why we continue to, seemingly to me, just keep getting in our own way. Yeah, and it seems like they're trying. We're, I guess, the people who are supposedly trying to solve our problems, right? When it comes to climate change, or, or other related things. Um, it's constantly a turn to what new innovation can solve this problem for us, right? Um, the question of reducing certain things that we use um, for the health of the environment is almost off the table, it feels. Yeah. Uh, it always seems like, yep, exactly what you said. We're trying to bandage. We're not trying to fix that problem that is needing bandaged. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, but it's really great to see Mexico making some uh, some really good steps towards getting rid of GMOs and glyphosate indoor their agriculture. So the first episode is in the books. Nick, how do you feel about it? I think it went really well. I hope everyone else feels the same way. Uh, yeah. If you don't, feel free to let us know uh, on Twitter. Our at is poisoned, the number four profits. We'll put our email in the show notes also if you want to reach out that way. Um, and always feel free to send us articles to cover or stories to look into. Um be happy to have some more content to put out. Or if you're also in like the front lines of this or really passionate, maybe we're we're going to expand to guests in the future. So Yeah, I'd love to interview know. people. Yeah, let us know if you'd possibly like to be on an episode or have some insight that would be interesting to put out to more people. Yeah. We are not experts in these 
stories we're talking about. This, this is just, you know, giving our takes on them as people who are in the, uh, the field, but um, wanting to learn more as well. Right. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.